Hi, I'm Patti Schmidt, and this is Inside the Music, a program that looks at the context of music, the how and the why, backgrounds, insights, and hidden histories, as well as documentaries and biographies that take you inside the music. Today you'll hear the second episode of a five-part series called Revolutions Per Minute, Indispensable Canadian Albums. Host Kevin Courier and producer John Corcelli have created striking portraits of five of the most important LPs in our rock, pop, and folk history. These albums pushed boundaries, challenged listeners, and represented turning points in the artists' careers. Last week, we heard about the band's 1968 debut, Music from Big Pink. Today, the series continues with a look at Joni Mitchell's 1971 masterpiece, Blue. You know, music comes to you at a certain time in your life. Um, it sort of will find you and leave a profound mark, whether you know it or not. Joni Mitchell's right, songs are indeed like tattoos. As for the ones on her 1971 album Blue, they left a lasting impression on the many listeners who came to love this record. She captures all the contradictions. She doesn't make it simple. She almost to me isn't pop. She's something else altogether. She's just her own, you know, singer-songwriter. Um, She's not just writing these cutesy little catchy pop tunes that people can sing along to, right? The, the lyrics stop you dead in your tracks. Despite the fact that a lot of people were doing very unusual things in music at the time, it struck me that nobody sounded like Joni Mitchell or wrote the kind of songs that she was writing, and it was Blue that made me a fan of hers intelligence, self-consciousness, her ability to calibrate these tiny ambiguities of meaning and her mastery of the English language. I mean, this is a highly literate woman who's, uh, I think, whose only peer really is Bob Dylan in terms of uh, what she can get into a lyric. The melodies, the chord changes, and, uh, and the lyrics. They just didn't sound like other people's songs. And that's a good thing. Inside you'll hear a sigh, a foggy lullaby. There is your song from me. Joni Mitchell's command of melodies and lyrics was highly original and fathoms deep in emotional complexity. The wind is in from Africa Last night I couldn't sleep Oh, you know it sure is hard to 
contains some of the most sophisticated songs heard in popular music. For those people who were to discover the album, it would prove completely rewarding. Female listeners would find that Blue opened up new possibilities in their lives. For many men, Mitchell's raw vulnerability and emotional honesty were overwhelming. Blue is a work that quite literally changed the lives of the people who heard it. This year I took some time off from touring in a went off on some adventures of my own and this is kind of a, a letter back home. Sitting in a park in Paris, France Reading the news and it sure looks bad They won't give peace a chance That was just a dream some of us had Blue was Joni Mitchell's fourth album, written when she was in her late 20s and she produced it herself. Its emotional depth amazed many rock critics, including Robert Christgau. He wrote, for instance, that Blue offered listeners an exciting, scary glimpse of a woman in a man's world. The record would be a hit, climbing to number 15 on the Billboard chart. Yet it was also conceived during a period of personal turmoil. In 1970, she had quit what she called the crazy scene of Southern California and headed for Europe, just as Melody Maker magazine had named her Female Performer of the Year. Upon departing, Mitchell said that she had no personal defenses left and could no longer pretend to be strong. It was out of those naked sentiments that Blue was born. Her need to retreat from the music scene had come quickly, just as fast as her rise to the top. It had only been two short years since her startling debut, Song to a Seagull, had brought her to prominence in North America. In 1969, Ladies of the Canyon would become her first gold album and it included her hit song, The Circle Game. We can't return, we can only look behind from where we came and go round and round and round in the circle game. The 
seeds of Joni Mitchell's recording career began in 1966 with a serendipitous meeting with musician Al Cooper. This encounter led to her first big break. Here's Al Cooper. I met her in uh, the uh, Greenwich Village about 1966. I bumped into her in the bar and uh, uh, we sat and talked for a few hours and then uh, I walked her home. My intentions were not to listen to music. So she invited me in, and then she played me some music, and I was floored. So uh, I uh, picked up the phone. It was, by this time, it was about 1 or 2 in the morning, and I called uh, Judy Collins, who I actually was uh, staying with at the time, uh, platonically. And I... Uh, um, knew that she was going to the Newport Festival the next day, and I tried to coerce her to take uh, Joni with her because Joni could play her songs in the car that I think she would find really uh, useful and that she could record. Judy Collins took Al Cooper up on the offer to bring Joni to Newport, and the Mitchell song Collins turned into a hit in 1967 was Both Sides Now. Songs on Joni Mitchell's first three albums, Song to a Seagull, Clouds, and Ladies of the Canyon, were achingly romantic, and they beautifully captured the soft yearning of counterculture idealism. We are stardust. We are It was a Chelsea morning and the first thing that I heard Was a song outside my window and the traffic wrote the words It came a-ringing up like Christmas bells and wrapping up like pipes and drums They paid paradise, put up a parking lot With a pink hotel, a boutique and a swinging hot spot seem to go that you don't know what you've got till it's gone it pays paradise put up a parking lot in these early songs mitchell's skills as a songwriter were in sharp evidence and they set her apart from other pop composers of the late 60s award-winning new york journalist sheila weller who has written about Joni mitchell in her book girls like us immediately recognized her distinctness. Joni was a, a resplendent talent, and there was no two ways about it. 
and, and she wrote so many extraordinary songs so young. By 1967, she'd written The Circle Game, Both Sides Now, Michael from Mountains, Cactus Tree, Chelsea Morning, amazing songs. These were a repertoire of songs that singers 10 years older would, would have killed to have been able to have written. Camille Paglia is a professor at the University of the Arts in Philadelphia and author of Sexual Personae. She was so impressed by Mitchell's work that she included Joni's lyrics to her 1969 song Woodstock in her poetry anthology Break, Blow, Burn. Paglia explains Mitchell's significance in popular culture. Well, this was a time, you have to understand, in the 60s when um, hard rock, which I loved, was very sexist and there really weren't very many strong women's voices. I mean, there had been Joan Baez, who was a political leader and who uh, was known as a folk purist and so on. But with Joni Mitchell, you really were getting someone speaking autobiographically, someone speaking to the generation um, in ways that I found electrifying at the time. By 1971, singer-songwriters were everywhere in both male and female versions. James Taylor, Janice Ian, and Cat Stevens, they all came to define the songwriter as a self-centered soul-searcher. Their confessional songs were only about the self, how I feel, what I want, where I hurt. On Blue, Joni Mitchell started with her inner world and then boldly reached out to embrace a larger one. Toronto author and film critic Katrina Onstad identifies with the risks Joni Mitchell takes on Blue. The lens is always her experience of the world, but the world is really big. And I think that for me, the broadness of what she was singing about, this idea that here was a woman who was stepping away from the limelight, who had had these life experiences, who was, uh, you know, living really large in the world. That was something that I hadn't heard before. Um, it seemed to me to sort of grant me permission as a young woman to occupy the universe in the same kind of way. All I Want opens the record with a song about a traveler on a lonely road, but she's not bemoaning her loneliness. She's looking for something, but she's not sure what she will discover on this quest. All I Want is about the thrill of taking chances, yet in the meantime, fully recognizing that sometimes there's a price to be paid in doing so. Do is to bring out the best in me and in 
Life is a pause when I think of your kisses. My mind seesaws. Do you see? Do you see? Do you see how you hurt me, baby? So I hurt you too. Then we both get. Along with the pleasures that blue offers, pain is also at the core of it—the pain of loss. On blue, there were songs about the loss of love, the loss of place, and the loss of a child. Yet many listeners who experienced the emotional whirlpool on Blue actually found themselves. I was in university, just starting university, my first or second year. Janice Newton is a professor of political science and women's studies at York University in Toronto. When she discovered Blue back in the early '70s, she was a student still trying to figure out key issues in a young woman's life. I mean, at that time. Women of my generation were just getting access to birth control. I had gone through high school where a number of my friends had dropped out of school because they got pregnant and disappeared.、Um, all the issues around, you know, figuring out your sexuality, figuring out love, figuring out men who are such frustrating creatures、uh, in your, you know, late teens, early twenties. And then the issues around, you know, getting pregnant, and you know, figuring out how to do sexuality with a birth control pill, and I think all of that she kind of speaks to all of those things in this album. One of the songs that best spoke to those issues was "Little Green." We would later discover, of course, that "Little Green" was about Joni Mitchell having to give up her child for adoption. While many women instinctually picked up on the meaning of the song, it apparently left many men in the dark. Here's Sheila Weller. It's a song that all the male reviewers in Rolling Stone couldn't figure out. They thought it was totally inscrutable. If there were more women reviewing for Rolling Stone, they would have figured out that it was a a lullaby adieu to the baby she gave up for adoption. She had named the baby Kelly, so little green Kelly Green. I mean, beautiful sense of metaphor all the way through this gorgeous song. He went to California. 
Hearing that everything's warmer there So you write him a letter and say Her eyes are blue He sends you a poem And she's lost to you Little green He's a non-conformer Just a little green Like the color when the spring is born There'll be crocuses to bring to school tomorrow Just a little green like the nights when the northern lights perform There'll be icicles and birthday clothes and sometimes they'll be sore child with a child pretending weary of lies you are sending home so you sign all the papers in the family name you're sad and you're sorry but you're not ashamed a little green have a happy a little green like the color when the spring is born there'll be crocuses to bring to school tomorrow just a little green like the nights when the northern lights perform there'll be icicles and birthday clothes and sometimes they'll be so That was Little Green from Joni Mitchell's album, Blue. Resolving the choice between motherhood and independence became part of the cornerstone of feminism in the early 70s, something not lost on Janice Newton when she heard Little Green. We were charting new waters here, and out comes this album that doesn't talk about it as a secret. I mean, she says, I, I can't remember the lines, but she says, I'm, I'm sad and I'm sorry, but I'm not ashamed. And that was so powerful to hear. Blue spoke to a quest for individual freedom being experienced by women. However, it didn't mean that men were excluded from this record. Steve Weinberg is a professor of theater, dramatic literature, and film studies at College of the Holy Cross in Worcester, Massachusetts. Like Janice Newton, Weinberg also discovered Joni Mitchell in college. And you could say her music kind of snuck up on him. I didn't really focus on it at first because when I got to college, I was a real show music guy and I didn't really listen to popular music very much except for some of the stuff from the 50s I grew up on. So I used to hear it around. People played it in the dorms. The first song that struck me was the title song and I'd never heard anything quite like it. Um, it uh, I'd never heard a song that got into the consciousness of the singer or the narrator 
uh, in quite the way that one did. Although the song Blue had completely floored Weinberg, it was actually the album's concluding track, The Last Time I Saw Richard, that made him a huge fan. The song is about her or somebody like her, um, who is, you know, finally the person left at the cafe table getting drunk at the end of the song. But it's about this guy, Richard, who basically gives up on life and who is this promising uh, young man who is mixed up but in a kind of interesting way and and then gives up, uh, goes into a clearly loveless marriage, becomes very bourgeois and clearly alcoholic. And the character, the Joni Mitchell character, is really there to respond to the experience of knowing someone like that. It's not about, you know, what she's going through in her life. Primarily, it's about this man and what his giving up on life means to her. I'm Patti Schmidt, and on Inside the Music, you're listening to Revolutions Per Minute, indispensable Canadian albums. Today, host Kevin Courier is exploring Joni Mitchell's 1971 LP, Blue. Richard was Detroit in 68 and he told me our romantics meet the same fate someday cynical and drunk and boring someone in some dark cafe you laugh he said you think you're immune go look at your eyes they're full of moon you like roses and kisses and pretty men to tell you all those pretty quarter in the world it and he pushed three buttons and the thing began to whir and a barmaid came by in fishnet stockings and a bow tie and she said drink up now it's getting on time to close Richard you haven't really changed I said it's just that now you're romanticizing some pain that's in your head you got tombs in your eyes but the songs you punched are dreaming listen they sing love so sweet, love so sweet. When you're gonna get yourself back on your feet? Oh, love can be so sweet, love so sweet. 
Richard got married to a figure skater And he bought her a dishwasher And a coffee percolator And he drinks at home Now most nights with the TV on And all the house lights left upright I'm gonna blow this damn candle out I don't want nobody coming over to my table I've got nothing to talk to anybody about All good dreamers pass this way someday Hiding behind bottles in dark cafes, dark cafes. Only a dark cocoon before I get my guard. Just wings and fly away. Only a face. These dark cafe days. My favorite Joni Mitchell songs are, are the ones that have that kind of narrative complexity um, where there's uh, two figures in a way. I mean, there's only one narrator in the song, but it's equally focused on both Richard and the, and the Joni Mitchell character, whoever it is. I always love those songs. Um, it, but also, it's the quality of the writing in the song. The, um, you know, that last verse about... All good dreamers pass this way someday, hiding in bottles in dark cafes, only a dark cocoon before I get my gorgeous wings and fly away. Who writes like that? That was just it. Nobody did write like that. Perhaps that's why Blue became so timeless. It could jump generations and be embraced by a whole new audience. Janice Newton and Steve Weinberg discovered Joni Mitchell back in the 70s. For Katrina Onstad, it was a little over a decade later. The first song I heard by Joni Mitchell was uh, actually on the television show 30-something, which is a good argument for artists who are afraid to sell out. You know, they, they, they probably should in some way. It does get them heard. And the song, of course, was River. Um, and I, it completely shook my world. I really thought that this was a, a sort of openness and a kind of rawness in this song that I hadn't heard before. And I was particularly, I think, moved by the fact that it was a female voice. Um, this was, you know, the mid-80s was a very kind of indie rock, male um, kind of environment. You know, R.E.M. or sort of everyone was worshiping at the altar of bands like R.E.M. and all these kind of pop country bands. And most of them were male. Um, and the voice just kind of sliced through me. I couldn't believe it, you know. So I went and, and sought out the record. This was before Google and before the Internet when you had to buy a whole record and endure it track by track. It couldn't be fragmented to your tastes. And... Um, you know, it really, it re really affected me and kind of, I, I look at it as a kind of bridge from my childhood actually into my adult taste because it was sort of the end of high school for me. It, I was very, you know, hyper aware in that way that kids are, that my adolescence was ending and that this seemed somehow like a very profound soundtrack for that moment in my life. Joy and peace. Oh, I wish I had a river. 
voice on that record. She has, I think she has said, you know, that she couldn't sing an untruthful note, a quote, something, something that she was so raw in her life at that point. And you can feel it in that song. I mean, it is just absolutely genuine. At the time of Blue's release, Joni Mitchell wasn't the only woman writing about love and relationships. In 1971, two other significant records, Carly Simon's self-titled first album and Carole King's Tapestry also broke new ground. And it's too late, baby, now it's too late. 
Sheila Weller's book, Girls Like Us, examines the huge role Joni Mitchell, Carly Simon, and Carole King played in bringing a stronger female perspective into popular music. They really were making their music before the idea of any women's movement was there. I mean, they were finding their own way and expressing themselves uh, when so much under the surface was changing for women, so much unacknowledged. One of the reasons I wanted to write the book was when we think of the 60s, you know, we think of, Bob, you know, it's Bob Dylan and the civil rights movement. When you look at whether they're documentaries or musical roundtables of the 60s, so many guys are at the forefront where I think the biggest changes in lives were, were made by women. I mean, men were always supposed to be adventurers. <laughs> and and this, was a, this was a time when young women picked that up themselves, and they became adventurers. But not everyone saw Joni Mitchell as the same kind of adventurer as her two contemporaries, especially Janice Newton, Steve Weinberg, and Camille Paglia. I um, get rankled, actually, when I hear her and Carole King constantly linked together. I mean, I feel like Joni Mitchell isn't just a pop singer the way Carole King is, but but she's a true artist um, and that she's a, she was a, a working poet. There, there seems to me such a, a, an enormous difference in the quality of their lyrics. I mean, Carole King was you know, a very urban, very um, polished, a great craftsman and so on. But there's just a, a kind of, uh, what what can I say, a, a slight, I don't want to call it masochism, but there, there's something about Carole King's writing about love and about herself that I have never liked, not, not, not for a moment. Now, I did like Carly Simon a great deal right, in, that, in that period, but, but Carly Simon was so smooth and almost samba-like, and her, um, her background was so privileged. You, you just have this sense. She came out of this extremely wealthy you know, background in Manhattan. What a difference with, with Joni Mitchell. I mean, you really feel with Joni that she's someone who's kicked around, who's a real wanderer, who, um, who is really in, in the line of the bohemian beatniks of the 1950s, just on the road, you know, that kind of thing. So I think the Joni has tested herself against reality and has tried to take in much, much more metaphysically, you know, politically, psychologically than um, the wonderful Carly Simon ever has. When I first started hearing Joni Mitchell, people played Joni Mitchell and they played Carole King and they played Judy Collins, who I always thought was really boring, and, um, and Carly Simon, although that was a little bit later. And they talked about them all together. But when they talked about Joni Mitchell, they tended to talk about the songwriting with good reason. But I don't remember people focusing so much at the time on how remarkable her performances are of those songs and just how sensational an instrument she has. You make me feel like a natural woman made me want to wretch. Joni had the contradictions. The way she captured love was just perfect. It, she just nailed it. She catches the, the good and the bad in relationships. She's, she's honest about how, you know, she messes up sometimes. And her way of talking about love, I just, the lines, I want to shampoo you, I want to renew you again and again, you know, that song just catches the joy and the expectation, but it's also, you know, we mess up too. There was probably no better song that captured those romantic contradictions than the song Carrie, a tune that honestly expressed the ambiguity women felt when they became attracted to the bad boys. Here's Sheila Weller. She went to Crete. She met this guy who was mean to her. The first night they were dancing in the taverna where he was kind of the 
chief cook and bottle washer and the, the king of the taverna, and they were doing Greek Zorba dancing and crashing their, their plates to the floor, and she picked up the plates and gave it to him like a good, a nice good daughter of a nice prim Canadian mother, which she was, and he stared her in the eye, and he let them all drop back to the floor. So he, st- he started being mean to her. <laughs> you know, he said all the people around were kind of going, oh, that's Joni Mitchell, and so he took a contrary hook. He said, I'm just going to treat her like, you know, <laughs> I'm the king you know, the kingpin, and she's nothing. I mean, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. And and she fell for it. <laughs> she came over to his cave, which had no indoor plumbing. Um, his bed was on a, uh, was built over a secret burial, an ancient burial crypt. He dug into the sediment for human uh, human bones, and he built it. He carved it out and made a chillum to smoke something in, you know. <laughs> he was He was the kind of guy that a lot of us back then, you know, went for. The wind is in from Africa Last night I couldn't sleep Oh, you know it sure is hard to leave here, Carrie But it's really not my home My fingernails are filthy I've got beach tar on my feet And I miss my clean white linen And my fancy French cologne Oh, Carrie, get out your These friends of mine Let's have another round For the bright red devil Who keeps me in this tourist town Come on, Carrie Get out your cake
That was Carrie from Joni Mitchell's album, Blue. For Katrina Onstad, hearing Carrie, as she did during her adolescence, gave her a different perspective on the song than someone of Sheila Weller's generation. You're a mean old daddy, but I like you. That's a line that most women can unfortunately probably relate to on some level. Um, you know, but when I heard that, I was it was fiction for me. It connected with me the same way that a great novel would or a great poem. Um, you know, it was for me coming from a point of anticipation that there would be these complicated men out there and there would be these losses on an epic scale and that you would come through them. Out of the pain and fragile beauty of blue came the hope that life's trials and struggles could indeed be worked out. In that sense, Joni Mitchell became a great role model for other artists who wished to take risks knowing that loss and reward would sometimes be interchangeable. After all, the child she'd given up, who was the inspiration for Little Green, would ultimately come back into Mitchell's life when they reunited in 1997. Joni would go on after Blue to make more radically innovative records, like The Hissing of Summer Lawns and Mingus, her tribute to jazz bassist Charles Mingus. But Blue would endure in a different way, because the songs drew a delicate map for those trying to discover their place in an often difficult world. I guess I'd go back to the idea of these being a handful of stories that um, are timeless like any collection of great stories in any form, whether it's a, a book of short stories or, or whether it's a series of small films. The fact that the album has what I think of as a literary quality, um, the writing is, is so sharp and evocative, and the, the narratives are so complex, the characters are so rich. And that, of course, makes it lasting, enduring in the same way that a terrific set of short stories would be. For me, you know, I was just about to graduate from high school. I wanted to get the heck out of my of Vancouver and out of my family and uh, get as far away as possible from the life that I had known, which I think is just a natural, uh, you know, teenage compulsion. Um, and here was this woman singing about a world filled with travel and pain and uh, some form of love on her own terms. And I think that that was comforting for me to know that there were that there was someone out there who could find her own way, who could chart her own course somehow. I guess I'm seeing it much more in a historical context. I really, in going back and listening to it, it really makes me think about what a unique historical moment that was. And I think part of the power of that album is because it comes at that juncture in time in terms of, you know, um, transitions and women's roles and all of that. But she still uh, speaks to me around, um, I mean, she has a line about good for me and you too, something to that effect. And that doesn't die. Like those kinds of lines are still, if you're going to be in a relationship, that's such an important thing to demand and to expect, right? The record would continue to receive acclaim in the years following its release. In 1999, Blue is given the honor of a Grammy Hall of Fame award, which is given to recordings that are at least 25 years old and have historical significance. Blue also won top spot in Chart Magazine's 50 Greatest Canadian Albums of All Time in 2000. 
Three years later, it was ranked number 30 on Rolling Stone's list of the 500 greatest albums. Blue was a musical tattoo for those fans who continued to love the LP. But in 2000, one of its songs had come back to reclaim its composer. Joni Mitchell had recorded an album of jazz and pop standards with an orchestra. It was called Both Sides Now. She featured two of her own compositions, Both Sides Now, of course, but she also included A Case of You from Blue. On this new version of A Case of You, her voice and her sentiments ran even deeper, telling us that she'd learned much from the pain she felt recording it 30 years earlier. Pain is a teacher, you know, one of the best, actually. A lot of cultures simulate at the penitentes because, you know, it produces visions and insights. As Nietzsche says, that which doesn't kill me makes me strong. Just before our love got lost, you said I am as constant as a northern star And I said Constantly in the darkness Where's that at? If you want me, I'll be in the bar On the back of a cartoon coaster In the blue TV screen light I drew a map of Canada Oh, Canada And I sketched your face on it twice Oh, you were in my blood like holy wine Oh, and you taste so bitter you taste so sweet oh, I could drink a case of you I could drink a case of you darling still I'd be on my feet I'd still be on my feet you've been listening to Revolutions Per Minute Indispensable Canadian Albums that was a look at Joni Mitchell's 1971 album Blue Today's episode was written and produced by John Corcelli and Kevin Courier, and hosted by Kevin Courier. Additional sound design by Greg Diamond. Next week, the series continues with an exploration of Bruce Coburn's Inner City Front. For more information on this show, go to our website at cbc.ca slash inside the music. Stay tuned for more great programming on CBC Radio 1 and 2. I'm Patti Schmidt, and this has been Inside the Music. Thanks for listening. I remember that time that you told me You said love is touching souls Surely you touched mine Cause part of you pours out of me In these lines from time to time Oh, you were in my blood like 
And you taste so bitter And you taste so sweet I could drink a case of you I could drink a case of you, darling Still I'd be on my feet I'd still be on my feet She knew your life, she knew your devils in